You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. have no evidence that any of them believe. These people are completely untouched by what they say. Can you imagine? Can you imagine somebody being raised from the dead and these people being completely untouched by it? One commentator said this, quote, if the heart will not yield to the truth, then the grace of God cannot bring salvation, unquote. Something has to happen in our heart. Something has to happen in our heart when we see these things. Jesus' great miracle before the crucifixion was raising Lazarus from the dead. The witnesses of this grew in faith, causing great change among many in the community. Today, Pastor Dave talks about this miracle triggering the greatest response Jesus ever had in both his followers and enemies. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 11 as he begins his message, The Final Straw. Turn into your Bibles to the Gospel of John, looking at chapter 11. We're going to go through the final verses, 45 through 57. 45 through 57, so if you have a Bible, open it up. John chapter 11. Uh, We are ramping up, folks. Um, Things are going to get hot and heavy as we come to the end of the Gospel of John. Not that they haven't been good. I've really enjoyed the study in the Gospel of John. We've seen many things, but things are ramping up now. Instead of being months and weeks before the crucifixion, we are days away from the crucifixion. So, John 11, verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now, this he said, this he did not say on his own authority. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not only for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then, from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? 
that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priest and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. As we now come into these final verses of chapter 11, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. This miracle had many witnesses. There were the disciples. There was Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus. There were the Jews who had come out to mourn with Martha and Mary. But the biggest witness probably was Lazarus himself. It was Lazarus that came forth from the grave. It was Lazarus that was raised from the dead. It was Lazarus that had been in paradise and been called back by God, called out of paradise back into this world. Lazarus becomes a great witness for Jesus Christ, as we'll see when we go into chapter 12. And although the raising of Lazarus from the dead was not the Lord Jesus' last miracle before the crucifixion, it was certainly his greatest miracle of all. And by doing it, by raising Lazarus from the dead, he triggered the most response he'd ever had, not only from his followers, but from his enemies as well. Remember, the emphasis in John 11 is on faith. And the response to this miracle is twofold. There is a twofold response to this miracle. Let's look at 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. So the first response you see is belief. People believed in Jesus. Many of the mourners that had gathered around Mary to console her, mourners that we read about earlier in the chapter, they saw what Jesus did and they believed in him. They saw the miracle. They accepted it for what it was, a genuine display of God's power. And they believed in him. Now, the Greek word used here is pistuio. And it means to believe, but it also means to place your faith in, to trust, to commit your life to. So these believers became followers of Jesus Christ. They believed everything about him because it all came true. Many of these people who would then bear witness of him, they would bear witness of this miracle again in chapter 12 when Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. They're the ones leading the crowd. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They're there. And you can read that in chapter 12, 17 and 18. I wonder, though, how this all came about. Did they just see the miracle and automatically believe? Possibly. Or had they heard about Jesus? Had they heard about him? Because he was the talk of all Israel. Did they hear about him? Did they wonder about him? Did they think about him? Did they disbelieve what they had heard? Did they go to the religious leaders and ask questions about this man? Could he be the Christ? How many times did we read in the other chapters of the Gospel of John when they said, could he be the Christ? Could this be the man that we've been waiting for? Surely they looked at the religious leaders and said, well, if this guy was who he says he was, the religious leaders would have embraced him. They would have 
showed us that he's the one that we're waiting for. They would have welcomed him. They would have announced their pre his presence. But instead of embracing him, they've come against him. They were the ones who excommunicated the guy who was born blind and had his sight restored by Jesus. Remember? But how do you discount this miracle? How do you discount raising a man who was dead for four days? How do you discount that? How do you just lay it aside? Many people come to Christ after hearing about him and then seeing various things. Many people hear about Christ, maybe even know about Christ as they grew up in a religious setting, but then they see a changed life before them. They see someone who was once really somebody who was degenerate and depraved and, and, and acted in all sorts of ways. Now all of a sudden they see a new life in front of them, a changed life, and all of a sudden they start to put the pieces together. And I think that's what happens to these people. They saw Lazarus come out of the grave, and Jesus said, take off his grave clothes. People see you born again, new man. You took off the grave clothes, and they see the new man, and they're interested. They're wondering, how does this happen? And we get to tell them about Jesus Christ. They witnessed this. They saw this with their own eyes, and they believed. What's really interesting, and we're going to get there, it seems like pretty soon, that Jesus says something about those who don't see and believe in John 20, with, with the famous thing with Thomas that we'll get to. And John 20, 29, it says, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Who's he talking about? He's talking about us. He's talking about us. Blessed. Oh, how happy. Oh, how happy we will be when we believe, but yet we haven't seen. But yet we have seen. We've seen Christ. I see Christ in you. I see the way your lives have changed. I see what God is doing in your lives. And it strengthens my faith. It strengthens my faith because I see what the Lord does. I see miracles. We prayed for someone here that the, the Lord would show up strong. And they were healed of a possible deadly problem. We prayed here, we prayed there, we see things happening. And this is evidence of God's love. And it makes our faith soar. Well, that's what happened to these folks. They were standing around the cave. Roll away the tomb. Lord, he stinks. Yeah, I know, but I need the access. I need to get in there. Roll away the stone. And how comes Lazarus when he's called? These people saw that. After they picked their mouths up off the floor, what did they say? What did they do? It must have been amazing. It says they believed. Many of them believed. Many believed. Now, I love that. Many believed. But as usual, not all believed. Not everyone's going to believe your testimony either. Even though they might notice a changed life, even though they might notice something different about you, they're not going to always believe. There will be those who do not believe. They just refuse to believe. Let's read verse 46. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Instead of believing, they ran to the Pharisees. They ran to the religious leaders and reported what they had seen to them. 
Now, was it bad that they went to their religious leaders? No, because I'm sure a lot of people went to the religious leaders about Jesus and asked, what should we do here? Now, some of you may have had an experience after you've been born again, going to a religious leader and telling them about Jesus Christ, and I would love to hear the responses that you got. Most of them, if it was a true religion, didn't fare very well about your experience with Jesus Christ. In fact, some of them said, discount that. Remember, you're still this or you're still that. Their religion was more important than your relationship with Christ. How sad for these people. How sad that these people witnessed a miracle, saw a miracle. They were this far away from salvation, but they chose not to believe. They were this close to the kingdom of God, but there's no evidence that any of them believe. We have no evidence that any of them believe. These people are completely untouched by what they say. Can you imagine? Can you imagine somebody being raised from the dead and these people being completely untouched by it? One commentator said this, quote, If the heart will not yield to the truth, then the grace of God cannot bring salvation. Unquote. Something has to happen in our heart. Something has to happen in our heart when we see these things. I told you, I don't remember when it was, but I, I told you that when Beatrice first got saved and came back from the Bible studies, it took me a long time before I came around and became saved, but something happened in my heart. Things were happening in my heart all along. This Jesus that I learned about growing up as a Lutheran became real in her. And I saw it, and something was happening in my heart, and it took a while before it finally regenerated. I went, oh my gosh, yes. These people didn't even give it a chance. So they couldn't wait to tell the religious leaders, little tattletales, little tattletales. Reminds me of the guys in Daniel. When the guys, when the guys in Daniel, when they wanted to rattle on Daniel, they'd go to Nebuchadnezzar and go, oh, Lord, live forever. You know, little tattletales. Calling Nebuchadnezzar Lord, not Lord, Lord. So they ran. Did you see what Jesus did? He raised that guy from the dead. Some of these individuals were at the tomb that day, ran and told the religious leaders, they saw the humanity of Jesus. They witnessed him consoling Mary. And they saw the power of God. They saw the power of God. When Jesus called Lazarus forth from that grave, they saw a man who they knew was dead come forth and walk out. I wonder if one of their friends believed, and the other one said, I don't believe, I'm going to go tell the Pharisees. Tattletale, go ahead. But neither of these things had a positive effect on them. Nothing had a positive effect on these people. In fact, it worked the opposite way because it held them come against them. It helped them to come against Jesus. This is what our unbelief does in our hearts and in our minds, folks. It blinds us from the truth. In fact, Paul writing to the Corinthians the second time, in chapter 4, he says this, in verses 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The God of this age, the God of this age has blinded these people. The same thing happened to Adam and Eve, the God of the age, Satan, blinded them. Blinded them to the truth, but it doesn't relieve their responsibility. 
However, Satan blinded them with questions like, has God really said you won't die? Questioning God's word. Has God really said that? And they end up believing the lie. And of course, you know the rest of the story. They would rather believe a lie than be obedient to the Father. And even though this miracle of Jesus was too real for them, it was too magnificent, it was too wonderful, or even be dismissed, they were blinded. They were blinded in their hearts and they were blinded in their mind and they would not believe. But the problem, as the Pharisees saw it, was that there were too many people following Jesus. There were too many people following Jesus. This was the final straw for these men. Hence, the final straw. This was the final straw for these men. Now, everyone has heard the idiom, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Or, that's the final straw. That's the last straw. You've heard that. It usually means that there have been unacceptable occurrences that provoke this sudden and strong reaction. We've shortened it to say that's the last straw. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it had such an effect on the religious leaders that it was the last straw for them. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. The miracle became the final straw, and it compelled them now to commit murder. It compelled them to commit murder. They had worried about Jesus' popularity before. They had argued with them constantly about their religious traditions and about the commandments of God. They refused to believe that God had sent him. They refused to believe that he was the son of God. They refused to believe this all along. But now, with this miracle, they became even more worried. And so they had a meeting of the council. Let's read 47 and 48. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. And if we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. The council that they drew together would be the Sanhedrin or Hedrin. Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin, tomato, tomato. It's a council of the ruling parties. It consisted of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what's really interesting that if you study this group of men, Sadducees and Pharisees, you come up with a political system which is much like ours. The Sadducees were the liberals. They, they were the liberals. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Whereas the Pharisees, they were the conservatives. They did believe in the resurrection. They also believed in angels. Both these groups were in constant opposition with each other. Sound familiar? They were constantly in opposition with each other and couldn't get anything done, but they all joined forces for one thing, to come against Jesus. They couldn't agree on how to run Israel. They couldn't agree on how to keep the Jews in the religion. They couldn't agree on how to keep them moving forward towards God, but they could certainly agree about this man. They can certainly agree about what they wanted to do about this man. And why? It was necessary that the council meet because they didn't know what to do with this guy. He was stirring people up all over the place. Many were turning to him. Many were thinking he was the Messiah. But these holy men were not seeking the truth. They were seeking to protect their own selfish interests. They wanted to keep the Romans away. Now, look at the words they use. The Romans will come and take away both our 
place and nation. What was their place? Well, they were the high mucky mucks. They were the ones with the big hats. They were the cool guys. You wanted something religious, you came to them. They were the ones that made all the money. They had all the power in Israel. So if the Romans come in, they're going to take away our place. They're going to remove us from the high point. The Apostle John gives us insight to why these religious men really wanted to kill Jesus. They became worried about losing their power over people. They, they became worried about that, that Rome would take over, but Rome was a, an offset. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Satan had blinded their eyes, had blinded their minds. He had blinded them to the things of the world. They wanted to keep their popularity. They wanted to keep their wealth and their riches and their fame. They wanted to keep their power, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. They wanted to keep all that. Why was Rome an afterthought? Rome had already ruled Judah for a long time. Rome had been in power now for quite some time. And this is partly true because in 68 and 70 AD, the Jews would revolt against Rome and be completely wiped out. The Jews would be completely wiped out. And the temple that Jesus predicted would fall, falls in 70 AD. And not one stone is left standing. But in these small, short verses, there's a persistent theme here which exists even today. The things Jesus did, the things Jesus said, divide humanity into two parts. Believers and non-believers. Believers and non-believers. Believers and non-believers. I didn't want to point to one and point to the other and think, well, he thinks we're all believers. It divides people. It divides people into two categories. You either are a believer or you are an unbeliever. Those who believe are free from bondage. They're free from guilt. They're free from sin. They have a liberty in Christ and the burden's been lifted. They're no longer captive by the world's lords. Lore. On the other side, those who choose not to believe are stuck in their sin. And Jesus already told them that if you continue in your sin, you're going to die in your sin. So they're stuck in their sin, those that don't believe. They're stuck in guilt. They're stuck in bondage. They have no liberty. They have no freedom. They remain captive to the world and the world's way. So the Sanhedrin, the governing council, the Jews were frustrated. What are we going to do with this guy? They become frustrated because Jesus was persuading more to follow them, Jesus, him, than they were getting followers. They were losing their people, and they were frustrated. They were trying to cling on to that which was not theirs. God had showed me clearly, you cannot hold on to that which is not yours. You cannot hold on to that. The fear they had was for themselves more than it was for the nation. They didn't want to lose their standing in the community. They didn't want to lose their place. So Caiaphas, who is the high priest, stands up and he speaks to them. Caiaphas the high priest. Now we're going to hear a lot about Caiaphas and his, I think it's his brother or father, Annas. We're going to hear a lot about them when we come to the uh, crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You are We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. 
There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.